Good morning. I want you to take a second before I begin speaking, and I want you to take a look at the gorgeous women who are seated around you. Would you take a second and do that really quickly? And you can tell them you're looking beautiful this morning. Why don't you give them a quick compliment, a word of love. Why don't you say this with me? We are better together. Why don't you look at the lady next to you and say, we are better together. And how about you take a moment, if you haven't met them yet, or you've just said that to someone you have no clue about or who they are, why don't you just introduce yourself really quickly, let them know your name. Why don't you take a second and do that? If you met someone new for the first time, why don't you put up your hand? If you met someone new, that is beautiful. Can we celebrate that? Yeah, you can get excited. It is a very significant thing as a woman to find someone that has the same heart as you, perhaps the same passion. I think one of the biggest struggles as women is to find those that are like-hearted. I don't know about you, but a deep desire of my heart is to find women I can run with. Now, Robin, Pastor Robin is so kind. She put on this event and sifted through the woman of Boise for you and arranged for you to be in a room with a woman who has a heart like yours for the Lord and has a passion to learn more about who she is in Christ, has a passion to arise and shine. So why don't we thank Pastor Robin for everything she's done for this incredible event. Powerful. Yeah, Pastor Robin, Rich, and I are just so blessed to be here. We have fallen in love with you long before we came to Boise and have fallen in love with your city. It is such, such a joy to be here. How many of you are thankful for this woman? Uh Powerful. And uh, Mackenzie as well, you have just been such a gift to us. If you are part of the uh, committee and uh, like Mackenzie, you've been working hours and weeks and months to put this on, why don't you give us a wave so we can just thank you and bless you. (laughs) We'll do it for Mackenzie and Brittany. Otherwise, if you're in here you're cheeky and you're being polite and you didn't put up your hand, but we will find you. We will find you. So Robin uh, shared a little bit about my husband and I. My name is Libby and I am married to a wild South African man. He is a, a highly educated and has worked at high levels of business and, and is working full-time alongside me at Bethel Church and, and travels as well and speaks. He does have dreadlocks, okay? So I'm going to warn you now so that when you see him, you know he is safe, okay? I call him uh, my lion-hearted husband. He looks a little bit like a lion because he has dreadlocks, his heart is uh, just like the line of the tribe of Judah too. He is wild as the Lord, and he is uh, wild in love for God's people as well. And uh, you can hear from my accent as well. I uh, was raised in South Africa. I was actually born in Louisiana. So I am American. I fooled you all. I'm one of you. And uh, I, uh, I only lived in the States until I was seven years old, and uh, my folks uh, moved to South Africa, and so that is where the accent comes from. So right now, I release a spiritual gift of interpretation and translation over all of you. If you don't have the gifts of the Spirit, you got activated right now, that you may understand and comprehend all I am going to share with you today. 
and uh, grace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's good to laugh. And uh, we have been part of Bethel Church for five years. Uh, like Pastor Robin shared, we have the privilege of being on the pastoral uh, staff of the church and our ministry school in Redding, California. We have just under 3,000 students that are a part of our ministry school. And uh, my husband and I are uh, involved um, in the uh, leadership team of our first year school of ministry. We have 1,300 students in first year. And uh, to help me do that, I have an incredible team of interns um, that do that. We actually just had graduation. Uh, I went to five graduations this week. Uh, We have to split them up so that each student has a moment. Uh, We have family and friends of theirs that fly in from all over to be a part of that. So we we love to space it out so they can celebrate. And uh, our uh, lead pastor of uh, our local church, Bethel Church, Eric Johnson, uh, who is a hero of Richie and I, and uh, I'm sure a, a lot of you might know of him, Uh, just uh, employed a few months ago, uh, an incredible woman uh, who is married to a Boise man. Some of you might know her. Uh, I just graduated her. She just interned for me and did such a phenomenal job that halfway through her internship, the local church snatched her up and uh, she is working for Bethel Church and as Eric's executive assistant, I have Ashley Hills who is here. You can stand, Ash, and give them a wave. Mm-hmm. Patty Hills is over there, who is very proud that that is her daughter-in-law. And uh, I just love the people of Boise, Ashley and her husband, Jeff, um, interned for me. They were my students when they were out, uh, in first year a few years ago. Rich and I had the privilege of marrying them. They interned for us. We love the people of Boise so much, we just adopt you. So right now, I just adopt you. And uh, your city is magnificent. I mean, I read the newspaper, so I see Boise in every list possible. One of the top 10 safest cities in the world, Boise. Oh, safest cities in America, maybe the world. We'll take that. <laughs> Boise, we say uh, g- uh, quickest movement in the housing market, Boise. We see uh, safest and uh, greatest family-orientated cities, top 10 in the United States of America, Boise. So uh, it is an absolute joy and a privilege for us to finally be in your gorgeous city. This is a significant, significant city, not only in the States, but in the Lord's heart. As uh, we landed, I had a very similar feeling to when we ministered in Wales. Uh, that is in um, Europe. All of you will know that. And an incredible move of God took place in the city of Wales, uh, where they saw an incredible revival, God's presence and His power moved amongst churches, uh, actually began through prayer in such a significant way that they had to uh, close down uh, bars, they had to close down uh, and release some of uh, the wardens for prisons because no one was getting arrested. There was such a city transformation that took place because of the power and the presence of God. And uh, as we landed, I had that, that same feeling in my spirit that God has earmarked the city of Boise not to be one that is a, a just excellence uh, in every other sphere, but that God would begin to move with His power and His presence in such a significant way. You are about to see a, I'm going to say this, it might sound strange to some of you, but you'll see it unfold, a practical outworking of His power and His presence. God began to share with me that even in this room today, there are women that are called and carry the purpose of God on their life 
life to see God move in the most profoundly, not just there is a spirity, that the churches are going to begin to be filled because not just there is a spirit of excellence, which it is clearly over the city, over this house, over the leaders that are amongst us, look around the room and outside. It is magnificent. But I, I felt God say that His His Holy Spirit was going to begin to move in hearts. Heavenly strategies were going to be downloaded, and you are about to see an even greater city transformation in Boise because of the power and the presence of God. I heard specifically for the education realm, I heard God begin to say that there's going to be an unleashing of creativity amongst His people, that there would be sought after artists and creators in Boise that would have a high demand, not just on a national scale, but an international scale. Uh, and, And this is how it's going to move, I felt God say, as His Holy Spirit falls and His power begins to move, men and women are begin to move with a heavenly strategy. God has begun to awaken higher levels of creativity in and through you. And so I just want to warn you, women are always the, the forerunners. Okay, let me show you in the Bible, because that's really important. I'm going to make it legal It's true. Who was the first person who saw Jesus after he was resurrected from the tomb? Some of you know Mary, a woman. Wow. Who was the first person he commissioned to go and tell others that he was resurrected from the dead? A woman. Who was the first person that the angel announced and believed the word of the Lord about our Savior, Jesus, a woman Uh that believed. Remember, Joseph had an area of doubt in his life, and then the Lord in his kindness overcame it. God chose for Eve to be called the pinnacle of creation. Just like Pastor Robin shared, it was the woman that God chose to complete. It was the woman that after she came, he said, it is good. I want to let you know, woman of Boise, that there is a forerunner anointing on your life. There is a pioneering and going to bring in the power. And so this is not something I just want to announce in the church. Actually, we're going to bring in the power, the prophetic and the purposes of God into our women's meetings. We aren't just women who have tea together and chat about how we can do things better or how we can uh, love each other to a high level. How many of you know that is authority and power? But as women, I want to let you know that you carry the purposes of God. You carry the presence of God, you carry the power of God, and just like our biblical model, just as we saw Jesus treat women in the Bible, so He wants to treat you today, He wants to announce to you first, because there are women who are radical believers in the room. If you're a mother in the room, would you stand for me right now? Yeah, you can give it up for these powerful mothers. Mm-hmm. I want you mothers just to close your eyes right now. And I felt God would have you stand as a sign and a symbol of those who have gone ahead. I want to pray over you quickly. And if you're seated, you can join me in agreement. Yeah. Holy Spirit, I thank you for women who are forerunners. I thank you that in this room, there are women of faithfulness. There are women who are radical overcomers. I thank you that the women who are standing in the room this morning have overcome disappointment. They have overcome being uh, unseen. They have overcome laying their life down with no thanks at times, with little gratitude. And I just thank you that heaven, your attention is on the woman who are mothers this morning. There is a higher level of value that heaven wants to place on their heads and their heart. 
And I just hear the Father say over and over and over again, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I hear a banner of heaven being laid out across this room, and it says, well done. I hear the Father say, my love for you is filling in all the gaps powerful mother standing in the room, my love for you is covering over every ounce of failure and disappointment. I have a word for hope. I have a word towards hope. I have a word that is going to give birth to hope through your life, mothers, this morning. I hear the Father say, today is a day where you get permission to be a daughter where you have taken care of every single person, where you have filled every need. I saw the meals you laid out for today. I saw the washing you missed getting done so that you could make it today. I saw the incredible hurry and scurry that took place this week. I saw the sacrifice. I'm going to give you permission to be cared for and covered today. I'm going to come with my love and show you, you will never, ever outgrow or become over-responsible that you would miss out on my fathering touch, on my loving kindness, and on my grace. I hear the Father say, I give you permission to let go. I give you permission to come undone today, and I will meet you where you are at. And I hear a word of honor from heaven for you, powerful, powerful mothers, powerful, powerful wives. And where you have not felt the thankfulness of men and women around you, where you have not felt valued, where you have felt like you've been off sidelines. That's what I heard God say, sidelined. I hear him saying, you are the target and the focus of my attention today and I am coming for you. Would you just extend your hands to these mothers in the room? Actually, this is what I'm going to invite every woman to do. Why don't you stand quickly? Every woman in the room, take the hand of the woman next to you. Why don't you close your eyes right now? In the name of Jesus, we don't wait for a ministry moment at the end. God, you are so hungry to touch your woman. I say in the name of Jesus, would hiddenness be broken off? In the name of Jesus, would a feeling of being sidelined or unseen melt away today as we step into your grace? In the name of Jesus, would a target of heaven's love, grace, and agenda be placed on every head and heart in the room? And I hear the Father saying, I am so delighted to pour out my very best to you today, woman of Boise. I am so excited expectant to come and meet you in disappointment. I am so on the edge of my seat. It would offend you with the kind of kindness I'm about to wrap you up in. And I say in Jesus' name, if any woman in the room would still desire to be unseen because of shame or be unseen because of disqualification, I invite a rushing in of the Father's furious love to come and cover, to come and fill. And I say, God, in your kindness, would you come and awaken us. In your kindness, would you come and love our hearts back to life again? In your kindness, would you come and refire hope? And in your kindness as woman, would you come and reignite us with dreams again? I say, awake, O oh sleeper. I say, awake, O oh sleeper. It is your time to arise and shine for the glory of God is upon you. And in Jesus' name, if any woman would feel they have to work for love today, say, God, would you so outgive them 
that any question they'd have in their heart, any desire to run to you would be so outpaced by your desire and your pursuit for them. God, as woman this morning, we stand still for a second. Oh, it's a glorious second because as woman, you know, God, our struggle to stand still. And so for this second, we stand still and we say, Father, would you open our ears to hear the footsteps, the pounding on the ground of our life story, the footsteps of a father who has been running after his daughter all this time. Father, would you open our eyes to see the pursuit of the Savior Jesus who has been pursuing and running after his bride, us, you and I, our whole life long. And God, would you open up our spirits that we might be aware that the Spirit of God has been waiting with bated breath to come and fill, to come and refresh, and to come and empower when we thought we'd have to do it on our own. Pursuit of God, pursuit of God, come and awaken our spirits to see that we are alive, that we are awake, and that we have permission to arise. And God, would you begin to show us how radically seen by heaven we are. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Amen. <laughs> so if you haven't realized it already, I have a message of hope for you today. I have a message of such radical hope. My prayer for you would be his kindness would be so great. His kindness would be so clear that it might offend some of you. This is the journey that I've been on with the Lord. His kindness for me as a woman has been so lavish that I have often had to turn my face to my friends around me and say, or my leaders around me and say, are you sure that this is real? Are you sure I have permission to receive this? Are you sure that it is that good? We know we've touched the hem of his garment. We've entered into the goodness of the gospel when it begins to feel too good to be true. We bypass our own pursuit, our own abilities, and start to tap into His when it's too good to be true. So how about we have that kind of day today? You ready? Beautiful. Good. So I'm going to tell you just some snippets about myself so that you have a grid. I am one of the most unlikely women to be standing here. I did not grow up in the church. I got saved when I was a rascal of a teenager and uh, I was at the back of a church, and God radically found me and redeemed me. When I got saved, I was the poster child for being okay all the time. I was taught uh, that from a young, young age, I grew up being severely, severely abused, both uh, physically, sexually, emotionally. When I got saved, I had so much offense and anger to, my, uh, to the Lord in my heart. I'd always believed He was real, but I thought that God just didn't want anything to do with me, and maybe He chose others, and for whatever reason, He didn't choose me. And so I was the Christian, I was the one, the Christian, who everyone's jaw was on the floor at, that they believed in Jesus. I was the Christian that was the most unlikely to come to know the Lord. I was that story that people would gossip about in our community because they were shocked that that could take place. And and uh, when I came to Christ, it was such a radical moment of redemption in my heart uh, that I just went full force and I wanted to find out what it meant to be a Christian woman. I wasn't raised with that and I just so loved the Lord and was so thankful that He chose me when I thought He did not, that I would 
uh, go head first into anything I saw or anything that I knew was possible. And so I, in the church, would watch. How many of you know that we learn more by how people act than what they say? This is why our generation is so hungry for the authentic. And so I would watch the way that women would minister in the church. And uh, it was uh, nothing someone taught me, but more from what I observed. And so from a very young age, I would watch incredible women in the church. And pews or the light, I'm going to move quickly. And um, I would watch women who would sit in the pews or the lines of the churches and uh, their head would be to one side with a, a sweet smile on their face. And uh, they would be sitting down with someone who looked maybe a little bit more haggard than them, uh, possibly more stressed and anxious. And they would have the appearance of perfect peace with their head to one side. And uh, And for them to be a leader and a woman, I quickly picked up, okay, you've got to be okay. And I've got to find someone that is less okay than me. And if I sit opposite them and I engage with them and look like I have a word of wisdom or something that is going to redeem and restore their life, then I will be qualified to be a Christian woman and a leader in the church. And uh, and so I would watch a woman in the church sit before the service or after the service, and sometimes uh, the little smile uh, would turn into a head nod like this, and uh, the movements would be slow and peaceful, and, uh, and so as a little rascal who got redeemed by Jesus, I watched and said, okay, if I'm a Christian woman, what are my three assumptions? One, I have to have it all together all the time. Two, I have to find people that are less okay than I am and speak into their lives because if they're not okay and I'm okay, that means I'm the leader and they aren't. And so that must mean that I hear from the Lord better than they do. Or you are laughing, but some of you know inside, "Mm -hmm, you've been there. It is true. And uh, my third assumption would be that uh, I have to have all the answers, all the time. And if I don't, I better pray really quickly or think of something very profound to say. And uh, I had this picture that this is what it looked like to be a Christian woman and having learned how to cope with abuse and with high levels of dysfunction as an unbeliever and a young woman, this only compounded my belief that internally I can be dying inside, but externally we are all together. We are happy today and we have what it takes to confront everything that might be against us. And uh, and we laugh about it, but it is an epidemic of our day. In the church, we are very comfortable to say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my strength. We have names of churches that say, uh, Uh, love God first church, and we have uh, churches that have all uh, different names about loving the Lord, our God, with everything inside of us, and we worship, and we say, God, I give you everything, but then the church whispers, love others or love God as you love yourself. So we love to shout that we love God, but we whisper in the church as ourselves. And so I I went on this journey of loving God radically, but forgetting or ignoring that what was going on inside of me desperately needed the love and the truth of God. And so I was the poster child for being okay all the time. And to me, that was the pinnacle of the Christian faith. And if I received or I read the word, it was good because it made me more okay. And the more okay I was, then the more everything else was going to be okay. And the closer I felt to God and the more qualified I felt to come to church on Sunday or go to tea at a fellow woman's house. And Uh, And I carried on like that until the Lord radically and kindly broke into my life. On top of that, I believe that as a woman, I uh, theologically did not have a right to 
direct or to speak or to lead in the church. So what you're seeing right now is a heavenly permission slip that God can redeem and restore anything. If you aren't feeling okay about yourself, come chat to me. I am so human. I will tell you stories that will shock you and you'll feel really great about your life. Okay? Uh, But more than that, I'm not just going to tell you stories. I'm going to give you truth that is going to be a heavenly permission slip for your life. And you're going to see that it is possible. So much so that I know Pastor Robin and Pastor Jordan and, and the team here have been talking to you about the power of vulnerability. But I am very aware that now it's not just a placard or a beautiful scripture on a piece of uh, driftwood in my house, but truly... In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. I believe as women, the tide will begin to change when we become comfortable to allow God and people into our weakness because we're aware that we didn't have to be okay anyway. We didn't have to make the way anyway that it was for it was his wisdom that he gave a savior who pursued us. It was his wisdom that said, He came down, Emmanuel, God with us. We didn't have to get to him. And so we say all these powerful things and and you might be like uh, myself and, and be aware that the gospel is all in all and Jesus is our savior, but often we'll stop there and we won't cross the bridge to translate it into our own internal world. We won't apply the gospel beyond salvation. We won't apply the gospel to our very day-to-day moments as women. We'll simply leave it in the then and there And once we've been saved, we hustle as women and make our own way in the pressures, the stress, the failures, the mistakes of our own life. And so this morning, I'm going to share a word with you that quite literally will change your life. I'm going to share a word with you where you'll come on a journey with me and find out how juicy the New Testament is and how the Apostle Paul and his writing was. And you'll begin to see that God isn't just interested in redeeming you in the moment and then setting you on a path as a woman to make your own way and to hit a measure of expectation or to hit a measure of perfection, performance, or being okay. You'll begin to realize that the gospel wasn't just then and there. The gospel is a here and now. The gospel wants to begin to manifest in every moment of our lives as women, and it changes everything. So we're going to make this meeting legal. We're going to open the Bible. I want you to turn to Romans 7 very quickly. Beautiful. As you do this, I'm going to read Isaiah 60, or as the Americans say, Isaiah. Is that how you say it? I say Isaiah. You say Isaiah. There we go. Okay. Uh, when I'm really tired, I can pull out my southern accent. But we'll, we'll save that for tonight. Okay, as you have your hand in Romans 7, I'm going to read this over you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. But the Lord rises the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and the glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your brightness of the dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. I want to pause for a second. One of the greatest struggles I see in women in the church today is the fear, not of 
weakness alone, but the fear of your greatness. When I read that scripture to you where God says, my attention is on you. I want you to arise and shine. I want you to be aware my glory is on you. I want you to be aware that your children will bring glory to you. Riches will come towards you. My bounty and kings, men and women of influence. This is the Lord's you. I want you to be aware that that isn't just a New Testament promise. This is the Lord speaking this over his people in the Old Testament. Woman of God, as we dive into Romans 7, I want you to be aware that God actually wants you to shine. God actually wants you to be seen. God is glorified when men and women's attention is on you. Why? Because He's inside of you. Woman, I want you to know that you don't glorify God when you become invisible. You diminish yourself and you self-deprecate so that somehow God would be glorified. I want you to take a look at an illustration of marriage right now. If my husband, Richard, would say my greatest dream would be that my wife would be silenced, my wife would be sidelined, my wife would be invisible and diminished, my wife would be self-deprecating. My greatest dream is that people would see as a husband how powerful, how loving, how gracious, how redemptive I am because my wife is invisible, silent, and shut down. How many of you know that would be completely illogical? How many of you would realize that as a woman, if I know that I'm loved, if I carry grace on my life, if I have a message and a voice of redemption and permission, if I shine, it makes my husband look good. It reflects to the world that he is loving. It reflects to the world that he is redemptive. It reflects to the world that he takes care of me. He sees me. His love has restored me and loved me back to loveliness. I want to let you know that somehow the enemy has crept in, both to culture, to our theology, to the church's ethos, where we believe, not just as women, but believers, that the smaller we get, the more invisible we become, the more glorified our God is. Pastor Robin and the team called this church Arise Conference for a reason. It is biblical, it is theologically sound, and it is the way of Jesus's ministry. He says, when my women arise, when my women are seen, when my women are filled with godly confidence, God confidence, when they operate in grace, it reflects to the world that they have a powerful God. It reflects to the world that they have a God of abundance and miracles. When you see a woman who grew up in abuse, who grew up in dysfunction, who was demonstrated to and taught to that she should be silent and that she should be ashamed. When you see a woman in front of you speaking, looking at you eye to eye, when you hear a woman with a voice of boldness who once had a voice of timidity, I want to let you know that just like the woman you see in front of you, so is our God towards you. When you realize his dream for you is to prosper, is to arise, is to shine, is to be seen, when you begin to realize that and marry that with the humility, the grace, the goodness of God, I tell you what, you become dangerous to hell and you become a picture of heaven. Woman of Boise, God wants to wake you up and cause you to arise and shine and be seen not so you can draw attention to yourself, but so that you can be a signpost and point back to a father who is redemptive, to Jesus, our perfect husband, who has loved us back to loveliness, and to the spirit of God who has empowered you and called you what you are not and made you what you could never, ever be without him. The Lord has called you to arise and shine. Romans 7, 
Paul gives us a very, very cheeky story. Romans 7 is something of a telenovela. It is a sitcom that could be slightly R-rated. If you read it at face value, you will miss the gorgeous illustration of the gospel. He gives us a key to God's redemptive work for the church, for the bride, but especially for women. This is not his mandate to outline the way of marriage. This is his outline. Every theologian that is sound will explain this to you. This is his outline for us and the gospel. Okay, I want you to say this with me. This, Romans 7, is an outline for the gospel and I. Okay, I want you to be aware of that. So in Romans 7, it says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. And law here, the root word of this specific key word law applies to the law of the land. Not the law of God, but the law of the land. So he says, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. How many of you know that as you are alive, if you are living and you go through a red light, that law that says you are not allowed to go through that red light applies to your life? Does that make sense? Okay. If you are not living and uh, you go through a red light, impossible, okay, But for point of illustration, how many of you know no ticket will be written to you? No uh, charge will be put against you? Here, Paul talks about the law, the law of the land, applies to you only as long as you are living. He's basically saying, all of you hearing my voice, all of you reading this right now, you're intelligent people, you know the law. This illustration I'm about to give you is not complicated. It is simple. And so he says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now, everyone breathe in for me and breathe out. I am not going to do a message on divorce and marriage and adultery. This is an illustration. Paul is more relevant than you know. He's using day-to-day examples to explain to you the gospel. And I want to let you know that this is not a commentary on men and women's morality. This Romans 7 is a commentary on the redemption of Jesus Christ. I'm going to explain it to you. So don't get caught up in the details and the semantics. You're about to get caught up in the love and the goodness of Jesus. So this is what Paul says. He says, I'm going to give you an example. As a woman, you know that as long as you are married to your husband, the law of the land stands that forevermore with your husband. An obligation to that law to fulfill that covenant with your husband. You are married to him, okay? Now we see in the Bible a very, very clear key. We see the key That every man and woman, we see in Galatians 3, it explains to us every man and woman, when they are born into the earth, they are born married. They are born connected to the law. Now, this is the law of God. It says intrinsically, you are married to the law. So everyone in the room, all your dreams have come true. Women who are still single, you are already married. You have already found your husband. Every man and woman is married to the law. And so Paul says you're aware that you have a husband. You're aware that you're married to the law. But in Galatians 3, he points out as well, he says, you are not only married to the law, but intrinsically because of Adam and Eve, every man and woman 
has a sinful nature. You are born, you don't have to do wrong. You are born with a sinful nature. There is a, an inherently inside of you, there is a nature that is not of God. So here's where the story starts. Paul says, you have a husband. Now this husband you are married to is perfect in every way. It is the law of God. You are married to this husband. And he begins to illustrate just like we would see in a telenovela, just like you and I. I'm going to use this illustration. You are in your home and you are doing everything you can to work your way into pleasing this husband. How many of you are married in the room? Okay, you know, if you are married to a man, no matter how beautifully you clean or how hard you work, there is a sock that falls on the floor. There is a wet towel that hits the carpet. There is uh, always, some of you, how many of you have boys in the room? Yes, you have sons. There is something that hasn't yet been done, even though you thought you did everything already. So we are in this illustration. We have a husband and we are doing everything we can to work and please and perfect and live the best way we know how. And Paul gives us this illustration. He uses the law of God for a very specific key reason. And he unpacks that. He begins to share in Romans, Galatians, throughout the, the New Testament, throughout Paul's letters, he begins to explain to us who this husband is. I'm going to introduce you to the husband that you were once married to. Some of you might still be married to him today. This is the husband that our beautiful wife in this illustration is married to. She's married to a husband, and you can imagine, she's cooking, she's cleaning, she's doing everything in her power, and she's married to, in Galatians 3.10, it says she's married to a husband who always puts a curse on her. You're married to a husband who speaks ill of you, who speaks harshly towards you. In Galatians 3.10, it says this husband of the law never, ever, ever allows you to measure up. You can never, ever quite hit the mark. Our husband in Acts 15, 10, it says that no one can bear. Your husband is so overbearing. You cannot manage with this husband. He lords things over you. He places them upon you. And in Romans 3 verse 19, this husband of yours that you married to silences you. He actually does not allow you to speak in any way, shape, or form. This husband has knowledge in, in Romans 3.20. Your husband has knowledge of every single failure you've ever met. And I could go on, but for time's sake, I'm going to give you this key. The last thing you need to know about this husband is that this husband of the law is perfect in every single way. The, the Bible tells us the law is perfect. The law is without fault. However, the law finds every fault in you. The law speaks a harsh word over you. Why? Because intrinsically with our sinful nature, we can never, ever, ever quite measure up. And finally, you need to be aware that in Galatians 3, it says, this husband of the law keeps us in bondage. Actually, the root word is in prison. You cannot escape this husband. So Paul tells us it is just like a telenovela. You and I as women, we're in a house. We cannot leave the house. We clean and work as hard as we can to measure up. But there is one spot that we've always missed. There is one moment that we did not quite clean further enough or cook the chicken long enough. There is always something missing. We never, 
ever quite hit the mark. However, as the sinful nature inside of us mixes and responds to the perfect husband near us, we begin to find out that his words over us are abusive and harsh. There is a curse over us. And more than that, the husband of the law, the Bible tells us, cannot produce fruit. Not only does the husband speak harshly over us, sees all our flaws, never forgets any of our failures, and always shows us where we do not measure up. But on top of that, the Bible tells us this husband of the law cannot help us bear fruit. Our husband is impotent. We cannot produce anything from our relationship with him. And I want you to imagine yourself in this house And out of the window, as you've been cleaning all day and preparing and trying to measure up, out of the window, this is what Paul says, there is another in the street, and you see him out the window, and he is powerful. Man, his muscles are rippling. He can overcome anything, and his eyes are so fiery, it is blinding as he turns around and you catch a glimpse of him. And men and women come from everywhere to speak to him. And you watch him all day on the other side of the road. And as they come to him, they look weak and broken. And as they leave him, they look refreshed, full and powerful. As you see this man across the road, you see compassion dripping off of him. You see power released from every word he says. And everything inside of you, if you are human and you have a heart that beats, thinks, if only I could escape this prison that I'm in. If only I could leave this perpetual relationship where I feel like a failure and I never measure up. If only I could just spend five minutes I'm not asking for a lifetime. If I could just be with him for a moment, maybe I could get rid of this feeling of inadequacy, of being second rate, of of feeling like I never measure up if I could just have a moment. If I could day and wanting to be for a second, I'm not asking for much. And you see him day after day after day and wanting to be with him for five minutes turns into wishing and daydreaming you could be with him for a lifetime. What would be the possibilities? What would your life look like? And man, he is so powerful and he is so gracious. You notice that he is the solution for every problem. This sounds like a good deal. And so you might, and Paul says this, you might process in your mind, well, if I just divorce my current husband and uh, I'll just leave him, and I'll, I'll just go over, and I'll get out of, and I'll escape this, and I'll just go over to the, to, to the man who has all the solutions and all the problems. Do you know his name? Have you heard of him? Jesus. This is who he is. And you say, if I could just be with him for a moment, everything would change. And then the law stands up and says, If you violate the covenant that you have made, I'm not going anywhere. I never, ever die. I never, ever will leave you. We are bound together. Paul says, you could try and divorce this fault-finding, abusive husband who is perfect in every way. You could try to do that, but you can never, ever, ever leave him. So then you think, okay, I've got another alternative. I'm going to get reality show on you right now, okay? Prepare your hearts. And you think, well, maybe I could poison my current husband. Maybe I could take him out. Perhaps he dies. Maybe while I make this meal, I could just mix one or two things up with the meal, and then I could escape and run out of this prison, and I could go off over there. Just maybe I could do that. And then again, Your husband, who you're connected with, who you were born into marriage with, reminds you, you could try that, but we see in Scripture, the law is perfect. The law will never die. You cannot kill your husband. He is all-powerful. He never, ever falls away. And so you're in this house, can't divorce him, can't take him out. You're all still in the room. You're surviving the illustration of Paul. 
which is in Romans 7. It's not Libby's illustration. And, uh, and you're in this place, and, and hopelessness might overwhelm you. Fear might overcome you. How can I get free? And you say, well, what can I do? How can I get out of this moment? How can I get free? This was your story. This was my story. Paul tells us in his kindness, he unleashes us from this tension. And he says in Romans 7 verse 4, So my brothers, you also, you, not the law, not that husband, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So that when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we were released from the law, so we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He didn't die, we died. Here is the kindness. That man we saw across the road, not only just looked glorious. He didn't just stand over there. He came to invade our prison. He came to invade our bondage and he pursued us. He, our glorious knight in shining armor, ran after you. He ran after me and said, you don't need to wait for what's going on to die around you. Actually, you are going to die with me once and for all. And I'm going to take you on a journey where you become the furthest removed from anything to do with that old life, anything to do with the fear of failure, anything to do with an abusive voice in your head or your heart, anything to do with sin, anything to do with mistakes or inadequacy. I am not going to leave you to make a way for yourself. I have made a way for you. Come, don't run away. Let us die once and for all. And let us be raised again with Christ and live a brand new glorious life. You know, the root word for dead is something so profound. It means dead. It is the furthest removed from anything you could possibly be. This is the promise of our Savior, Jesus. And if you're in the room, I'm trusting that you went on that journey just like I did, and he made everything new. But here's the key. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. Here's the key. If he went to such a great length to redeem us from a fault-finding husband, why, as women, would we do not measure up when we make a mistake, when we found all our years, all our lives, we never quite could measure up. We never could quite redeem ourselves. This is the moment that changed everything for me and broke the shackles of perfection, performance, and fear of failure. It was when Jesus said to me, Libby, when I've taken you through the Roman 7 journey, when I've redeemed you in every way, when I freed you of your old husband, your fault-finding husband, why? When you make a mistake, when you don't measure up, when you feel secondary or you don't quite hit the mark, why? Then, in an act to please me, to present yourself holy and beautiful to me, your husband, Jesus, who pursued you, who redeemed you, who fought for you, why? Do you then run back to your old husband and say, Jesus, I love you. You're perfect. I'm not worthy of you in this moment. I don't measure up to you right now. If you could just give me a moment or maybe a day, or maybe you were like me and it was six months and six months turned into six years, I'm just going to go back to my old husband. I'm just going to go back to my fault-finding husband, and he'll make me feel bad enough about what I did. He's going to make me feel and show me the fullness of my mistakes until I feel so bad, until I feel the worst about what I've done. And I'll never do it again once he's hit me around, and he's abused me with his words, and he's brought shame upon me, and he's kept me in a prison of my mistakes and my failures. God 
would you just allow me? I'm going to run back to my old husband really quick. And he's going to treat me like he did back then. And once I feel bad enough about what I did, and I feel ashamed enough about what went on, then I'll realize what I did and I'll never do it again. Jesus, watch me change. Watch me be better by going back to my old husband, the one you redeemed me from, the one you rescued me from. I'll just be with him for a while. And once he's abused me enough and I feel bad about it, I'll come back to you, Jesus. I'll be worthy to return to you. And I'll present myself to you. And that will please you. That will fill you with love. And this morning, I want to let you know, before we dive into anything else in our time together at Arise, your Redeemer, your perfect husband, Jesus, knew exactly what he was getting into when he fought for you and chose you. He knew all your failures of your past. He knew everything that would go on in the present. And he knew exactly what was ahead of you in the future. And he said, in the midst of all of that, I choose you. In the midst of all of that, I want to redeem you. And I don't want you to run back to your abusive husband to please me and to rectify yourself and to meet me. I want you to stay with me. I want you to live under the banner of love. I want you to let my kindness move so deeply inside of you that you begin to change. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is our current husband, Jesus, that is the one who fought for us and the one who will continue to fight for you. I want you to stand very quickly. Did you close your eyes with me? Jesus, we don't just want Jesus, we don't just want to be women who know the gospel, who know the moment of redemption. We want to be women who have permission to be glorious to arise, to be seen because we are aware that shame was loved away, was kissed away by our current and eternal husband, Jesus. We want to be women who do not hear a prophetic word or learn about how powerful we are and then run back to our old husband to cause us to be humble. We don't want to be women who run back to our old abusive husband so that we can live righteous and pure in a way that we thought would please you. No, God, you are freeing us of spiritual adultery. You are freeing us from being ones who love the redemption moment. And you are setting us free from the belief that we should let go of your kindness and your redemption and run back to curses and abuse and self-deprecation as a way to maintain goodness, righteousness, peace, and faithfulness. Father, we want to be women who stay at the table of love. We want to be women who remain with the one whose eyes are burning with fire. We want to be women who remain with a God who loves to restore. We want to be women who stay at the table of grace. And so in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are setting a table, perfect husband Jesus, before every single woman in this room. You are setting a table before them and you are saying, would you stay at my banquet? Would you stay in my lavish love? Would you remain at the table of grace? I see a spirit that the Father is literally romancing you back into union with him. And he's saying, would you stay at this place, paint Repentance doesn't look like running back to your abusive husband. Repentance looks like coming up to the penthouse of my love, coming up to my thoughts about you, coming up to my love for you, coming up to my grace covering you and remaining there. And my love, my goodness, and my grace is all you need to change. It's all you need to stay faithful. It's all you need to be safe. It's all you need to live a life of the gospel.
And right now in Jesus' name, we repent, Father. So even some of you right now, if you have committed that I'm going to use a harsh word, but you hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. If you've committed a spiritual adultery in the name of holiness or the name of perfection or the name of performance, and you have thought pleasing your current husband Jesus would be running back to the fault-finding man he freed you from. I want to invite you to repent, but it means to come up to the penthouse, to come up to the highest levels of love. I want to invite you to take the journey I did. And we say, Father, we will be ones who will stay at the table of love for the rest of our lives. We will discipline ourselves in love, grace, and your protection. And I hear you saying, I knew exactly what I was getting into when I chose you. I knew exactly what was before you or what you would do when I redeemed you. And I am the one who produces fruit in you. I am the one who is restoring you. I am the one who wants to love you back to loveliness. And so in the name of Jesus, I release heavenly permission to let his love cause you to shine to let his redemption cause you to carry his glory and to let his grace give you back your voice. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Where's Mackenzie? Powerful, powerful. Boise ladies, if you need to do business with God, Mackenzie's gonna open up a time to share with you how to do that. You can get the best prophetic word in the world. You can be called out by the greatest man of God you could imagine. But if we as women do not have this one thing, where we remain at the table of his love and romance, every word is gonna sound like an expectation. Every promise from God is gonna sound like an achievement you need to measure up to. God is inviting you back from your old husband and saying, remain with me, your perfect husband, Jesus.